Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, January in the garden. Back again, Chris. Indeed. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and, and to all our podcast listeners on Dig It. Definitely. Happy New Year, everyone. And in the news this week, what have mm. we got? Or rather, in the news in the last couple of weeks over Indeed, Christmas it's, and it's, building up to now, isn't it? Yeah, there's lots of sort of talk in the garden trade, which obviously I'm sure many of our, our listeners might be interested in because obviously there's some sort of movers and shakers. Mm. And, uh, Definitely. An old classic um, mm. fertiliser product, isn't there? There is. Um, yes. One which I'm sure... Everyone knows. Oh, yeah. And if we say the name Baby Bio, what does that evoke? Houseplants. Yeah, houseplants, a little nicely shaped bottle symbolic of over 70 years is it really that long yes. i know the glass bottles i can remember from my childhood and sort of the issue was always dropping them on the floor because um, we worked in the houseplant room and used it as a fertilizer and obviously <laughs> had a nice concrete floor and you only had to knock them over and smash them they went everywhere yeah oh dear that's not a good way to start but they're not pl- they're not glass anymore are they no they're, they're, i suspect they're hopefully a recycled plastic but they're certainly a lot more handleable than, than they used to be and of yeah. course uh, and it's the standard high nitrogen feed for our house plants which of course we've got you know come to love and after our last uh, chat on uh, on dig it with uh, jane peroni we know all about the fact that baby bio is up there as the best uh, house plant feed for your foliage plants certainly most definitely and most well known and obviously nitrogen is good for the green and the, mm. the, the sort of lush leaf growth isn't it I yeah suppose that's leaf and structure shall we say yeah stems and that, such that, like. that's yeah. it yeah. so uh, if you want your green leaved plants to look mm. extra green give that's, them some baby bio but it's had a bit of a makeover peter as baby bio oh yeah um yeah it's gone very green in okay, fact it's gone, good it's gone very organic Brilliant. So we've moved away from the traditional formulation and, of course, it's our good old friend, Seaweed, is now taking Santa's place. Seaweed's going into it as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's such a good... So it's, it contains natural seaweed infused with a, a plant feed containing all the three nutrients, which is, of course, NPK, yep. which is a nitrogen, uh, phosphorus and potassium. Yep. So you're getting a more balanced growth, which is probably going to be good for a lot more houseplants. Oh, so it's not so focused on nitrogen anymore? No, the, the ratio is 3 to 5. So actually, it's just a little bit higher on the potassium now. So they have so changed. So that's going to f- be better for flowering, isn't yes, it? Yes, but it's still quite high on the... It's still quite high, but it's, it's yes, it's moving more to your, your flowering plants. But it will still keep your green plants looking nice and bonny on the windowsill. Keep them growing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And of course, it, because it's got all those um, other materials in there, um, obviously nitrogen itself will help obviously for healthy remember it's all about health as well as growth yep. you get that balance and of course as we know seaweed food is just so good at uh, stimulating growth so certainly as we're, we're in the month of january towards the end of this month into february as the light increases in our homes then we might start to think about giving our house plants house the first feed food again excellent mm. that's a good idea and what else have we got we've got nick marshall now mm. nick marshall was if i remember correctly he was in wyville wasn't he and then yes. moved to dobby's he dobby's. was a ceo or mm-hmm. head man i think I'll, I'll say i don't know if it's proper it was proper title yeah. but um, <laughs> he's now the country home group yes they've opened their first new yeah. site called Lavashot Barn. That's it, yes. Down in Surrey, sunny Surrey, isn't Indeed, it? Indeed, yes. And it's obviously a complete sort of change of direction in the fact that a lot of these lovely sort of stately homes obviously require 
plant centers. Um, okay, so that's the way his company's going. Is it mm. that they're going to be in all of the national trust properties or, or the... more, more, more sort of private homes? I think yes. Okay, yeah, yes, right. I think that's the thing. Yeah, I think because uh, obviously we're all familiar with when we go to a national trust property, there is usually a little plant area, isn't there? And obviously a gift yep. shop. I always think, personally, Peter, it's always a missed opportunity. They're always not particularly a bit dowdy and a bit, bit boring. Um, they can be. Yeah, the tea yeah. rooms are often quite nice. Oh yes, and, um, yeah. but, but yeah, the, the actual side, sort of yeah. retail side of it's often a bit lacking. Yeah. But, so that he's you know, going to capitalise on that, then is he? He is. Yes, and I think Fair I think enough. that's a, that's a good growth area. And I think if he puts obviously his wonderful expertise, which, which obviously he's acquired over the years, into something like that, hopefully we'll see some really impressive. Uh, little plant centres um, being perhaps a bit more dynamic to perhaps how we, we, we usually perceive them. Okay, yeah, because a little bit of research I did on uh, on Lava Shot, mm. um, it was you know, sort of touting itself as the greatest new eatery in Surrey, or uh, let, let me find a quote yeah. for you, it mm-hmm. was, it is the new luxury lifestyle destination and claims to have the most unique dining experience in Surrey currently. Oh, wow, okay, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it very interesting that garden centres and plant nurseries now mm. seem to predominantly feature catering and food shops. Yes. Is this this whole idea of being a destination garden centre, I wonder? Or is it something a little bit more intrinsic to the fact that we obviously we enjoy our food and perhaps going to a, a one-stop emporium for food i i, I wonder but it's, it's very interesting mm, isn't it because mm. i mean uh, dobby's over in fenny stratford just mm. down the road from us mm-hmm. i'm gonna say i don't know what 40 percent of their floor shop floor is now sainsbury's yes and yeah. the same up in i went to one up in warwick when i was mm-hmm. um up, uh, up in that part of the country mm. and again they had this um sainsbury supermarket in a garden center indeed yeah I, I was just like well yeah. A local food shop or a local butcher, yeah, yeah. totally understand mm-hmm. that sort of well within mm. sort of the idea of local and growing and uh, keeping uh, everything sort of low food miles. But uh, yeah. are, are, are high street supermarkets the, the right place in a garden centre? I yeah. think that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. It's it very f- interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, certainly in this area, you know, North North Buckinghamshire, we've got, uh, you know, World's End Garden Centre, which many people will know is was at its time, and obviously that used to be a Wyvale Garden Centre before Dobby's. I walked around there the other week, and of course they've given over a large area. It seems a vast area to Sainsbury's. So it, it does seem slightly out of kilter to what you you know what what you remember but of course things move on and i suppose they do and i suppose i mean ultimately tesco's owned dobbies they did or, yes I, I, yeah. I don't think that's the official term is it but from <laughs> your and a, i point of view the, yeah. the same people who ran it ran mm. it tesco's um, indeed yeah, there's a, there's a uh, connection there wasn't there yeah yes. mm. the, the, i think there's another group the rose Rosebourne, Rosebourne, garden Rosebourne garden near, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they don't even call themselves a garden centre. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they just call themselves Rosebourne. And that's a concept that was, I think, originate bought out by, I'm going to say Beckworth Emporium and mm-hmm. John Kitchen uh, mm-hmm. um, and David Brown, who are, again, are they ex-Wyvale? I think, one, I think Mr. Mr. Kitchen definitely is a Wyvale person. Yeah, yes, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, they go around there shop and there is a there is a plant section it's a very nice plant section mm-hmm. there's also a fabulous sort of vegetable and fruit it section and is, a yes. butcher yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. a massive table service restaurant yeah. and i i just wonder how long we'll be able to call these places garden centers and mm-hmm. is that 
the way forward for the garden yes. centre. I mean, I know a lot of big garden centres. I'm thinking of uh, some of the ones certainly up in the northwest. Where I was managed to go to, to Bent's garden centre back in October last year. Yep. And they promote themselves as a home and garden centre. So they put the word home in there okay. because obviously they do whole furnishings, but also they do amazing amount of food and obviously have, have a number of restaurants so and a cinema and yeah when um, you go to barton grange you've got oh, sorry a, that's you know, barton, barton grange, grange isn't yeah. it but yeah. barton grange i mean that's oh. another yes big very test. very very big mm. garden center it's definitely a destination i mean look yes. at the number of bus no, parking spaces they've yep. got there and it's lovely i mean their, their cinema's got a green roof and yeah from an ecological point of view you think well yeah that's mm. really yeah. The way forward for modern buildings, huge solar panels. And and don't you think, Peter, it's quite good that we're getting this diversion of, of different sort of talents of garden centre you know, proprietors wanting to make a statement with their uh, their garden centres? Yeah, think. definitely. Yeah, because I think about uh, Barn Grange. You know, when I was at college, the original Barn Grange on the A6, uh, which was part of the hotel when uh, Eddie Topping um started it was a very traditional incredibly uh, 1960s 1970s then you look at what guy topping his son yeah. has done now it could be any different but still feels incredibly homely it's not lost its uh, sense of, of purpose and i think that's the thing it's getting that balance isn't it yeah definitely and ultimately one of the joys of being in retail is we aren't if we stay the same yeah we just go backwards. We we have to evolve, and the market has to change. And I'm sure customers and gardeners are well. That's a changing market as well, isn't it? Just think how things have moved. You know, in the last five years, with say house plants, how we're looking at how we're growing our grow your own. Yep. The marketplace is ever ever evolving, and that's surely a, a really good a, a testament to what we want as as customers. Well, definitely, because I'm just thinking about the raised garden. I mean, mm. I'm going to say 10, 15 years ago, these wooden plant benches came out for the retail market. Yep. And we all looked at them and were like, £100 <laughs> for that funny little bench. What's, yeah. that, what's the purpose of that? Mm. And those products are now so, so popular. popular. Yeah. And you can understand why. I mean, the modern house has a relatively small space outside and quite often maybe 50% of it will be put down to say patio because we all love sitting mm. out in the sun and enjoying the outside Indeed. space and to dedicate lots of room to a vegetable garden just mm. isn't practical no. these days so if you can mm. put it into a raised bed and then move it around so potentially if you haven't got sun in all of the garden, you can bring it out into the centre of the patio when you're not using it for entertaining and move it to the one side mm. when you are. It's yeah. brilliant, isn't it? And Absolutely. You grow some lettuce and yeah. Yeah, not quite the same as having a whole allotment. No, but it's but next best thing, isn't it? And that's thing. really interesting, Peter, because there's a new study has found that having a garden big enough to grow, have a small vegetable patch or some raised beds is high on the list, or a greenhouse, by the way, is high on the list of the must-haves for, for new homeowners. The first yeah. thing, by the way, is an ensuite bathroom. But the wow. second... Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, that. yeah <laughs> that's quite important. But the second thing is a garden, a bigger garden. So that does beg the question with our uh, building developers now, are they going to give more space over to gardens? Oh, well, yeah, I, I yeah. guess the mm. thing is, is how deep are your pockets? Mm. Land yeah. is expensive, isn't it? Now, I think um, yep. in the paper yesterday, I read two and a half acres of land in central London had just been sold for £80 million an acre. Gosh. Yes, It's an old eye hospital mm. that's, mm -hmm. I don't know what it's going to be turned into, probably a massive, great multi-storey building of some mm. sort. But yeah. yeah, you think, 
80 million Apartments. pounds an acre. Yeah. You've yeah. got to yeah. get a lot of people in it to mm. use that to make it pay for itself. But fundamentally, yeah, we, uh, mm-hmm. our gardens have been shrinking over the last 30 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And modern house builders mm-hmm. hopefully might take that into consideration mm-hmm. and yeah. build a little less houses and a little more garden. Interestingly, exactly, Peter, 29% wanted their new home to be close to a park or an outdoor space. Now, in view of the yeah. pandemic and the fact that we're obviously having to uh, look at our, our outdoor space even more so, that's an even more important consideration. So obviously this, this research has shown quite a, a notable um, admission that we, we do hanker for nature. It's it's really nice, and to be fair to modern house builders, you see all these big estates going up, and they do actually put. Mm. I know it's a, a, a requirement <laughs> of planning to build yeah. public spaces into them, but the new play parks uh, mm. and do get built, and mm. it is nice to be able to go to the park. And mm. fundamentally, if you're living in a flat, yeah, those probably are the sort of places you're going to go yeah. and uh, use. So. That's why they're so popular. Indeed. Well, hopefully the, the selling point will be the slightly larger gardens, or like they do in the Netherlands, when they build up a new estate, they build in an area for uh, community allotments. That has a, that's been in the 1980s and the 90s, and I think they're still continuing it today. So they actually build in an area for not necessarily a home farm, but they give you space so you can do productivity. I mean, you would expect nothing else from the Dutch to do that, but yep. what an initiative. Yeah, because I've read some articles recently about community gardens. Mm. They're not quite allotments, but no. they are spaces where communities can go. And, and certainly our interview with Mike mm. and his community orchard. orchards. I yes. mean, that's all come about through mm-hmm. getting private space and turning it with some funding into yeah. public space. And then people get to use space for and isn't that good news i mean that's good news for, for people to uh well to, to share their interest in gardening and certainly gardeners world over the last year uh, through, through 2021 has shown lots of examples where communities do get together and they make quite a big difference so more power to their uh, their elbow that's it okay and uh, also on the uh, what's going on in january between the, the 5th of january and the 21st of february we've got the big schools bird watch yep so um Basically, we, we're all familiar with the normal bird watch, which, are, which a lot of us get involved in. I certainly try to if I can. This is aimed, obviously, for school children, and like the one we do a little bit later on in the in the in the winter, early spring, it only takes an hour of your time. So it's a good opportunity to do a bit of bird watching, to have a look at the different species, maybe to set up a nice bird feeding area. You know, look at all those necessary, you know, uh, fat balls and uh, suet and all the other bits of ingredients you need to put into your encouraging those birds to uh, um, settle in the in the um, the school, and you can then do a bit more counting. So yeah. I think it's a really good initiative to to get the school teachers to be involved in definitely and uh, i know so when i was down the allotment the other day i think i spotted the first buzzard flying over to central north hampton so i, I was a bit well, taken aback and I've, I've seen it a couple of times since so mm-hmm. it, it's definitely a big buzzard has finally moved into northampton but that's I mean, great certainly i know in this area i'd say over the last four or five years mm-hmm. they've become more and more sort of prevalent and right. i do hope that they're well, I, I don't know if I should even say this, but feeding on the squirrels because um, oh, I, I leaked. 
<laughs> oh dear, it might be a bit controversial. But <laughs> some of some of our listeners who uh, mm. apparently there's a um, a squirrel appreciation day. There is, I yes, think, isn't there, there in is, January? There so. is indeed. Yes, uh, do, if you want to make a note of the date, so perhaps avoid it. Uh, <laughs> it's the twenty first of, of January, which is. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, appreciate them in, in what you can, but they, you know, they, as far as gardeners, they can cause a lot of problems. They're very beautiful. I, yes. I, I, I don't take their beauty away from them. I mean, no. Certainly, the red red oh, squirrel. Oh, if yes. you ever get the joy of seeing one of those mm. with their little tufty red ears, oh, and beautiful. So yes. it's a bit smaller, but yeah, they yeah. certainly are a yeah. real sight to behold. And yeah. then obviously the Duke of Bedford's grey squirrels mm. that he introduced um, yes. a few years ago that have mistake, taken, over, that's yeah, about. taken over the country <laughs> and um, dig holes and let you say eat all yeah. the yeah. bird food but yeah, anyway they, 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 you either love them or you hate you them you do, unfortunately Peter we've got all these wonderful squirrel proof uh, peanuts and seed and fat ball feeders yep. available now and suet feeders so you can buy something which does look a little bit like a, an iron cage around the food but it does, at least it keeps the, the squirrels they at bay. Do, they're not too no, bad. No. I mean, I've, I, I can't remember the make of the one I've got, but it, mm. I, I think it's brilliant because yeah. it, it, it's basically a standard bird feeder. And when the squirrel jumps on it, it has a spring inside it, so the whole thing drops down Crap. and shuts off all the doors to the Excellent. food. So yeah. the squirrel looks at it. He's like, oh, oh, off he goes to my neighbour's <laughs> bird feeder and <laughs> <laughs> feeds on that one. But yeah, they are they yeah. are good. Yeah, indeed. And it's just I mean, it's just one of those things we just have to accept. But uh, many years ago, when I used to live up, up north, uh, Formby in Lancashire, if you get a chance to go to the the wonderful woods there, which I think is National Trust. Um, there's, there's red squirrels there, and that's okay. what I saw when I was a youngster. I haven't seen any since, but uh, they are a beautiful creature. Yeah, because I thought, is it Isle of Wight? Mm-hmm. There's still some, and um, up in Scotland, I know there's obviously still some areas in the country yes. that haven't been taken over yeah. by the grey squirrel, but they are they're not as common as they once were. No, indeed, they? not. No, indeed. Also, in January, uh, between the 10th and the 16th, it's Houseplant Week, uh, UK, 2020. Too. So it's another time to celebrate those wonderful houseplants, Peter. Yeah, definitely. And we had a very good interview with Jane Perone, didn't we? We did. That was last episode, I think. It was, yes. And um, there's a fantastic competition that you can still enter, still ongoing. Yep, yeah, got to the end of the month, end of January to, to enter. So uh, yeah, pop over to our podcast page at uh, www.buckinghamgardencentre.co.uk. Follow the links to the podcast and uh, you'll be able to enter the competition there. Yeah, because that's for a signed David Domini book. Um, it is. There's two copies available, so mm. do get your entries in and hopefully you'll be a winner. Indeed. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to, to, to Jane's uh, chat about houseplants, I uh, strongly recommend it. It's a really good listen. Definitely, and some really good points on how to care for the houseplants as yep. well. Especially in January when, uh, yes, we our focus, you know, the poinsettia finally perhaps drops its last bract. Um, yeah. well, hopefully not, but uh, yeah, then we've also got to start thinking about, obviously, spring and uh, houseplants. And not a lot of people will be bringing in their bulbs at this time of the year as well. A lot of their uh, prepared hyacinths and narcissi, a lot of people hold them back. They don't bring them out for Christmas because, obviously, when they, the decorations come out come down on the, the 4th or the 5th of January, um, then, of course, you want some colour, don't you? Yeah, and the hyacinths, I always love the smell they create. Oh, it's great. Like, get rid of the you know, smell of Christmas trees and bring out the hyacinths. Yes, and the other good area as well is, of course, you've had this Christmas tree in your, your, your lounge or your dining room. What do you fill it that space with? Of course, it's a good opportunity sometimes to buy a bigger houseplant. Um, a lot of garden centres, including Buckingham, we, we tend to get in some nice specimen plants to do just that job. So uh, to keep the greenery going uh, without the baubles, then maybe a... 
you know, a large, uh, you know, ficus benjamina or maybe a Swiss cheese plant or something just to, to give you that uh, green look. Yeah, that's a good idea, Chris. I never really thought about that. Mm. It's in my sort of front room where the Christmas tree lives. It's a north-facing room mm-hmm. um, and it does have a big bay window, but oh. where the Christmas tree is, is to the left of the bay window, so it doesn't actually get any direct light at all. Right. What, what can you think that would well, do well... The, the, the rule is the bigger the leaf of the house plant, the less light they need. So, so oh, right. Swiss, Swiss cheese plants or your philodendrons, anything with yeah. big, big foliage. Obviously, a lot of your palms as well would be good there. Just avoid the small leaf plants like the like the weeping fig because that needs more light. And what about a chamidoria? That's it, chamidoria. Chamidoria. Chamidoria okay. palms. Um, they're, they're the lovely palms, oh, aren't they? fantastic, yes. Yeah. Would that tolerate sort of fairly would, low light levels? Would indeed, yes. Yeah, just keep, if you're bringing palms into a room where there's the light levels are low, just be careful on the water and keep them on a much drier regime. Okay. So that's quite important with palms. They just don't like to be too wet. And can I treat them like I do my orchid sort of when it, I guess if it doesn't need that much water every couple of weeks, sort of give it a bit of a dunk in a bucket of water yeah. and then take it out Possibly, and then let yes. it dry out? Is that a good way or is you more a sort of get the watering can and give it a sprinkle from the top? And a then little bit from the, the top and just do a little bit of testing with your finger just to see how the, the, the compost is. Because of course, once we get into this time of the year, you know, light levels are increasing. We've gone past the shortest day now yep. and light levels are going to, you know, two or three minutes a day and light levels improve. So okay. uh, that should be... Be a, that would be a good omen if you're trying to um, obviously get plants to, to get used to those light, lower light conditions. So rather than wait till the middle of summer, mm-hmm. put them in now. Yes, and get them used to acclimatised. Um, sometimes, I mean, that same advice can be reversed through the summer if you're bringing something really exotic, like a, a small leaf little ficus benjamino, especially ones with the variegated leaves. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes bringing those during the summer is a good way because, of course, they're more difficult to acclimatise. So, ah. yeah, you, you're capitalising on the fact that light levels at that time of year are the absolute maximum, and the plants should hopefully uh, enjoy those conditions and settle down before the winter. That's a good idea. Thanks for that tip, Chris. Okay. The way we use our gardens has changed significantly over the past 20 years or so, and so have the wonderful structures which have been available to us. The change to purpose-built garden structures has been a major success story, and the fact that we're recording our podcast in this wonderful breeze house is a clear indication that garden buildings have moved on from a humble potting shed. There's so much more to garden buildings these days, and as homeworking continues to gain momentum, perhaps it's time we took stock of this exciting marketplace. So we're delighted to be joined on Dig It podcast today with Andrew Peck, Managing Director of Malvern Garden Buildings. So, Andrew, welcome to Dig It. Thank you very much. So um, let's sort of set the scene of the garden building business. I suppose it's not all about sort of six before garden sheds or log, log cabins anymore. Um, and I suppose the question is, what was the log cabin the start of the, the big uh, garden building trend in the 1980s or was it the garden room sheds of the 1970s? Yeah, I mean, um, over time, there has been quite a development. I think the the original properties with, you know, greenhouses are over 100 years old. And then I suppose the classic summer house, they always used to be on a turntable. So you could turn them so that the doors are always facing the sun. Um, and then the garden shed, of course. And that, that, I suppose those three concepts were the basis. But it has evolved a lot since then. Um, the classic garden shed sort of got bigger and bigger and started to become little home offices and, uh, and hobby rooms. Um, obviously, greenhouses still very much with us today. If anything, a resurgence is sort of the grow from home 
industry, you know, improves, people more and more aware of eating healthily and whatever. But no, the whole sector has uh, certainly seen huge change and huge growth with, yeah, work from home and, and leisure, more leisure from home, to be honest. People looking at their home space and wanting to make the, make the most of their gardens. You know, we're famous for that in the UK. Everyone's got barbecues and garden furniture and buildings. We, we love it when the sun comes out to get out there and have some fun. Yeah, we, we certainly do. And so really over the last 20 years, those have been the major changes then, sort of moving more into the leisure market and maybe just reinventing the other other sort of products like the, the greenhouse and the, the shed to make them a little bit more dynamic maybe? Yeah, I mean, of course they, they improve um, and grow um, in, in design and standard. Um, but the concept remains the same, a, a basic shed, you know, an area to um, an area to store stuff and often a place of great solace for usually the usually the man of the household without, without sex. <laughs> yeah. it's often a, often a special little place you'll find a, a little fridge in the corner with a few bottles of beer and then in the old days there used to maybe be an ashtray tucked away i think they're mainly gone now but uh, yeah so um no everyone everyone still needs a garden shed but in terms of the use of the garden as a real extension to a property now um, I think that's that's probably the major change that we've seen. That you know, moving house is hugely expensive. Extending your your property is also quite an expensive thing to do, and often planning permissions involved, etc. Where most garden buildings of reasonable size, they still come in under sort of temporary uh, clusters of temporary structure, so you can you can crack on and you know provide extra usable space, whether that be for leisure or working or hobby or, or whatever in the garden. So it's a becomes a really you know really positive and sort of simple route forward to expect extend your space at home yeah indeed i mean even the the potting bench has sort of evolved um what trends in outdoor buildings have you seen in recent times is there anything definitely sort of captured the marketplace in you know, at Malvern garden buildings well i mean uh, you know recent times being pandemic times mm. the work from home was always a growing area anyway and that's just absolutely um taken off with uh you know, the, the start of this pandemic. Um, and I think we've all seen a change to how we're going to live our lives. Um, those who used to be in the office five days a week, I think the sort of average now is, and going forward will be, you know, 50-50, maybe two or three days in a week, and two or three days from home. So to have a dedicated workspace at home has become a real a real plus for a lot of people. And um and I hate to say it, maybe even for the hospitality industry, they've been under huge pressure and sadly are again this Christmas, But um, and huge sympathies to them. But um, a lot of people on the leisure side, um, and certainly with the Breeze House side, as a sort of open-sided structure, you know, with dining table and seating and whatever, so you can sit at home and enjoy the outdoor space with, with some shelter from the elements, and heaters usually sold in them as well, so you can even add some warmth. Um, and there's a lot more people, I think, socializing more at home and, and feeling maybe safer you know um using their space at home so that's been a huge growth sector as well indeed mm-hmm. i mean we're, we're i would say we're recording in a, a lovely breeze house today yeah it's a really fantastic building i mean like you say it's a, a, a dining room that i'd be proud to have in my house in it, it, on one side and then a lovely sofa on the other and like you say a, a good fridge in the corner <laughs> ready to serve well, the champagne indeed. from in fact, the building you're in, that, that, that's called the Oval Cape. So it's one of our larger ones. And um, we've, we've actually installed two this week, including one today that's just been finished off. These are people who want to have their, their Christmas lunches in, out in the garden. 
and having family around mm-hmm. and the idea of um, having a bit of you know free air movement but being in a lovely entertaining space let's say they can provide the heaters and, uh, and keep the wine chilled in the fridge mm. um just just ticks a huge box and as you can see, it's a fun space to be in, isn't it? Oh, you know, you're definitely. going to enjoy spending a, an afternoon, evening out there. Without a doubt, it's fantastic. And uh, I guess a lot of other people maybe put jacuzzis and things like that in these type of buildings, do they? Or maybe turn them into gyms? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the options are, are pretty much endless. We've um, There's certainly been a growth in, in bars outside. So um, we've built um, a fair few bars this year to go in buildings. Yep. People sort of see the... Um, the outdoor sort of pub idea working. And I mean, yeah, the hot tub sector um, has been very, very busy, huge demand there, um, again, for all the reasons. So we often often put those within structures as well as people want a bit of a cover over them so they can make more use of them through the 12 months of the year. So, uh, yeah, no, that's quite an area for us. Yeah, because thinking um, about bars and discos, you had a great success at Chelsea this year, didn't you, Andrew? Can you tell us a bit about that building? Yeah, sure. Well, we did. So, Chelsea, we, we work in an area in Ranala Gardens that's um, called the Plateau. And we provide buildings in there. And in the past, it's been for sort of artisan, um, small businesses, um, artisans who are trying to make it go. Maybe they make homemade jewellery or sculptures or uh, furniture or something. Now, they can't really afford to exhibit at Chelsea. So these buildings were given to them free of charge, and they could sort of show their wares and demonstrate to people what they did. And it was an area of huge interest. But last year, they decided um, they'd like to focus on houseplants as being a big uh, growth sector um, in, in the garden sector. So um, various companies were invited, and including because we provide the buildings. One of them is sort of for us. So we, we joined up with a local firm. They suggested taking our building and actually suspending it as right. if it was in a hanging basket <laughs> within a house. Okay. So um, we created a huge net and um, put the thing on, on a sort of raised platform with mirrors around so it looked as though it was suspended. And then, yeah, it's completely kitted at the inside with planting. And, um, yeah, brought in the disco and a bit of fun element to uh, to attract some attention and um, some dancing girls. And so really went to town with sort of launching the area. And, yeah, for the first time ever, that area was judged by the RHS. And uh, we won a gold medal. Well done. Which we were just thrilled with because those are pretty rare things to come by. So we were absolutely delighted. Uh, and it was a lot of fun doing it as well. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It was certainly a, a, a spectacle to behold, wasn't it? It's a really good. No, well, thank, thank you very much. Yeah. I was going to say, very non-RHS as well, Andrew. So well done for being, uh, being, being quite uh, brave in your, uh, your decisions there. Great stuff. Um, I was going to say, as well as, obviously, the RHS... Um, Flower Show, obviously you're quite actively involved in ITV's Love Your Garden, I, I believe. Yeah, no, we, we, we get some, we get some you know, requests from, from various areas to help out um, on programming and often with you know, great, great, um, great stories where they're transforming people's gardens so someone's doing a particularly good job. And we always help out where we can. So we have done a few of those providing buildings when they're doing a makeover for somebody very, um, very worthy which there's thousands of people there's so many good people in the country <laughs> who do great things you can't help them all but we always try our best and so whenever possible help out where we can that's good yeah um 
Andrew, I'm a, I'm a great uh, houseplant fan, as Peter knows. I keep yeah. going on about house, uh, the way houseplants and, and greenhouses especially allow us to, to grow more. Um, I mean, I had a greenhouse since the age of 10. My current one is a, a Mulvern Retreat greenhouse, which I think is one of yours from a few years ago, uh, with, a little potting, with a little potting shed, which uh, I have to say hasn't got any alcohol in it, but it has got quite a lot of paraffin at the moment. <laughs> for the hopefully no ashtrays either, Chris. <laughs> know, well, hopefully not, no. Um, I was going to say, what, what sort of changes have you seen in, in the whole area of, of buying greenhouses? You were saying earlier about the, the perhaps the new newbies coming on board with the, the vegetable gardens, but uh, any, any thoughts on the way greenhouse uh, sales might might go in the future? Yeah, it's, a, it's an area to develop. It's, um, I, I, it's the whole growing from home thing. I mean, people want them to grow vegetables, so they want them, um, as opposed to having sort of pretty spaces um, or areas maybe I think in the past they've used them a bit of a stroke summer house or, or just just nice indoor plants we're finding that the, the big people um, or the big increased level of demand is for those who really want to grow from home and uh, so although often still lovely structures and some quite nice big greenhouses going out there it's, it's the more practical side of them that seems to have had the real resurgence and I guess for the obvious reasons really um, you know about being health conscious um as uh, everyone's becoming more and more aware of what they eat where it comes from and there is nothing better than it might be a very expensive carrot that you pull from your own allotment and uh, if you look at the fertilizers and times you put into it it probably costs a couple of pounds each but nothing tastes quite as good as your as stuff grown at home absolutely so, uh, yeah I totally agree with that that's 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 thing so what Andrew, thinking about you know ahead now, where do you think sort of garden buildings are likely to to go in the future? You know, I'm thinking here about sustainability, as that's the big sort of wish word at the moment, isn't it? And sort of ongoing uses of our buildings in our gardens. Yeah, well, I I think I, I feel quite confident that um, garden buildings as a sector, um, you know, remains in a pretty a pretty healthy position, as. Um, as I say, the you know prices of properties so high, um, but gardens have certainly come back into a um, a level of real interest for for people having that outdoor space. So if you are asked to stay at home, then then you know you've got a space you can really enjoy. So I think the working from home is undoubtedly here to stay. That that's just going to become a way of life for us all going forward, and you can only see that increasing. And there's only so long you want to use the back bedroom or the dining room as an office, really. Ultimately, it's great to have an outdoor space, even from the discipline point of view of at the end of the day, you can lock up the door and go inside and enjoy your home and time with your family, relax as everybody needs to do. And then you you have a separate place to work. So that's going to carry on being a strong sector. And the leisure side of things, you know, a leisure time is just going to become more and more important to us. So I can see people, you know, wanting to maximise that outdoor space and maximise the time they can spend out there with, with family and friends again. So, uh, no, I think it's in a, in a pretty solid place. Good. And what about the, the sort of sustainability sort of area, you know, of actually the materials we're using for all, a lot of our buildings these days? Obviously, that must be coming under a lot of scrutiny now when, with, uh, with developing designs for, for, your, for your buildings. No, it is. It is. But... Um, to be honest, the, the timbers that we've used, you know, we're members of the FSC, which is the Forestry Stewardship Council. Um, so we only buy woods where they've got a policy of where trees are cut down, they're planting at an increased rate. So usually sort of one and a half times 
what they take down, that they're replanting. Um, so it's quite well monitored. And, um, and as a sector, it, it, it's important that uh, we maintain doing that. And I guess with the modern treatments and, uh, you know, maintenance recommendations and whatever as well, you can get longer and longer life after these buildings with a little bit of maintenance. And they come from real sustainable sources. And have been doing that for a number of years already. And, and you're right, that's an area that just continues to, to grow in importance. But um, we, feel, we feel well covered there. That's, that's good to hear. And uh, um, we usually ask a, a couple of our final questions um, to our guests. Um, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you're ever stranded on a, a desert island, which of your lovely buildings perhaps would you like to be stranded with? Oh, well, that's a pretty simple one. That, for me, is the breeze house. Um, this desert island, I'm imagining that it's going to be warm. The lovely blue water and, uh, <laughs> and nice warm temperatures. So, where a breeze house might might shelter us from the rain, sadly more than the sun in the UK on occasions. Yeah. Um, that that little sheltered space where I can sit and uh, uh, listen to the waves crashing in on the beach uh, would definitely put me in a nice breeze house. <laughs> Perfect. And finally, finally, would we is uh, do you have any sort of outdoor gardening building, greenhouse, or shed-related jokes or stories you'd you'd perhaps like to share with us anecdotally? I don't know if. Um, if I do, I mean, I know the one of the most popular of the of, of the buildings is the what well, we call it the old man's shed, and um, so when we have a display buildings and we have you know displays uh, as we do at Buckingham Garden Centre, and we have a number of those around the country, and our old man's shed is always done out with a comfy chair in the corner and an old radio and a, and a bottle of wine, and all I would say is that everyone who walks around the sites and looks at those especially the chaps, they all walk in there and go, oh, this is for me. <laughs> this is for me. Oh, yeah, so it's obviously well-dressed well and obviously signposts uh, a perfect escape, escape for somebody. Oh, that's really great. Oh, it's that, rec- it's that recognition, I think, for the chap of a space all of his own. Yeah. And generally that tends to be the garden shed. It definitely so. does. And long may it continue, Andrew. Thank, thank you. Indeed, th- I agree. Yeah, thank you very much for, for your time today. That's been great. Not at all. Pleasure speaking to you, chap. All the best. Yes, th- th- thanks, Andrew. Thanks, thanks Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Okay, so Chris, what mm. jobs have you got for me to do this this month in my garden? Yeah, well, start of the turn of the year, it's a time to give your your fruit trees a bit of a clean a clean yep. up. Um, traditionally, of course, we used to use a product called Morteg, which was based on uh, tar acids, things like what the old formulation Jace fluid used to contain. They've, yep. all, they've all obviously gone now where they've all been banned. So we've got to use basically things like Vitax uh, Winter Tree Wash, which is based on an organic product. Okay. Um, nothing wrong with it. Works really well. And obviously you spray it uh, and you basically treat all the nooks and crannies of your, your fruit trees, especially your older fruit trees, where you might have overwintering larvae and eggs which could obviously impact on your crop this this year. So it's um, okay. So the idea is sort mm. of knock all the pesties off now, mm. and then hopefully it'll give you a better crop next year. Yes, yeah. I mean, what I always do, mine, I, my fruit trees, I do every other year because I think that you don't. The trouble is, you don't want to be killing any you know goodies as well as the baddies here. Yep. So I usually do it every every couple of years. It's due this year, so uh, that's going to keep me going in the next next few weeks. Um, and that's more for bugs rather than sort of bacterial. So things like my peach leaf curl, it's not going to do no, anything like that on no. my cherry trees. Or it, it doesn't. Do, if you're mixing some product up and you've got you've got a mixture of fruit trees, it doesn't really matter. You can use it on all of them really because you okay. will you will reduce that. And in some in some instances, you'll probably get 
rid of some of the the green green on your on your stems as well. But some of that is obviously beneficial. Obviously, a north facing part of your tree is often green because, of course, it's not getting the light, and it's a yep. natural thing anyway. So, um, but I think the most important thing is yeah, these these organic pesticides now um, they work on the the waxy compounds over the pest, so they actually infiltrate through for breaking down that waxy. Uh, exterior right. and obviously kill the pest that way so it's a kind of a good way of, of giving your you know your plants a good clean but remember you can only apply this when the plants are dormant so you've yep. got to the end of february so if you don't do it this month you've got next month as well i'm just thinking about cleaning i know mm. patio slabs my oh, mother's gosh. very very lucky she's got some yorkshire flagstones mm-hmm. they're beautiful but yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. They do yeah. get the algae growing on them in her yeah. garden. There's a couple of products that I've recommended to her that mm. I think she's had a lot of success with and so simple to use. I mean, one one option you've got is obviously a like Karcher pressure washer mm. with mm. one of those round, I don't know, I always think they're like hovercrafts. They're yeah, like a spinning sort of, sort of they? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they fly around. They're, they're really good. They do get rid of the algae and they bring the colour right back mm-hmm. up. But something that we found is a lot easier to use is just a, well, the Algon or mm-hmm. Patio Magic are two right. products that I think we sell in the garden centre as well that you just mix them up in a watering can mm-hmm. Sprinkle them on, mm-hmm. get a stiff brush a few minutes a bit later, and mm. give it a good sort of brushing down. And yep, does the same thing as the patio jet washer and yep. um, gets rid of the slippy mm. algaes because mm. they are so. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been a little bit, I was going to say, we've been quite fortunate this winter so far. It's been quite dry, isn't it, compared yep. to other, other winters when we've had a lot of excessive weight. But of course, it's those areas on your, your patio and your deck, certainly on, on my part, my garden, where it doesn't get a lot of sun anyway. So, of course, those areas are even more prone. And of course, it's a, a slip hazard, isn't it? It's, it's dangerous. Well, that's it. I mean, yeah. that's why you know, mm. we started using the mm. algon because my mother's slipped over and broke her wrist unfortunately so um, yeah it, it is yeah, definitely important. worth doing and yep. it saves you going slipping and sliding and most definitely yep no and then we've got obviously bird feeding time of oh, year, gosh. isn't it it is yes yeah, so we're going to keep the uh, and yeah birds feed um i was topping up my, my peanuts and me my, uh, my sunflowers yesterday actually sunflower seeds yep. And uh, of course, obviously for, for your robins, as we're at that time of the year when robins tend to be uh, quite territorial, make sure there's a bit of mealworm down for them as well. They love love a bit of mealworm. Yeah, they like mealworm and fat mm. pools as well. Yes. Yeah. I, I, no, I remember I did an interesting experiment a year or two ago with um, fat pools because I think we had some new supplies in. And mm. it, it's, I found it really interesting that we, I think we had three different types of fat ball mm-hmm. and I put them all out and tried them just to yep. see which ones Best would get eaten. <laughs> and the birds are fussy. They really are. They, really? they, they left one make totally wouldn't eat it oh. and i was like oh, it's a fat ball for the yeah. nice looking seed to me but apparently no not the right fat or right. something to the birds but yeah they, they do have taste and mm. they, they prefer certain ones that yeah. i don't know which the best make is maybe some of our listeners could comment on that whether they've had the same experience and yes if yeah. there are any better brands out there that mm. you think that we should all be stalking let us know yeah most definitely but it is a matter of keeping them topped up isn't it and obviously mm. made sure like I did yesterday, two of my bird feeders were given a good clean too because they do get a bit mucky over the course yes. of the winter as well. So, yeah, just a general bit of uh, housekeeping to keep your birds nicely fed. That's it. And it's a um, good time still to plant a hedge, isn't it? If you're still thinking of 
ornamental tree or mm. an ornamental hedge or a nice... That's it, yeah. The, I mean, the season, as we know, uh, in the gardening world has been a bit difficult. It was a very late season for getting stock in, but uh, we're at the point now at the garden centre, we've got a you know, good range of, of native species in. Perhaps not the full range of certain things, because obviously a few things are in short supply. However, there's the usual suspects, your blackthorn, your, your quickthorn, your, uh, obviously all your dog roses and uh, hazel and such like, which will give you a really good... You know, feather off a feather friends will love it in the years to come because obviously they may even use it as a head, uh, actually as a, a nesting spot as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, like you say, very, very late season this mm. year. And we've only had what I'm just trying to think, I'm going to say three, four mornings where I've had to actually clean the frost off the car Indeed. in the morning. So yeah, it certainly mild. doesn't seem as cold as historically no. it has been. And no, nope. you just think, well, autumn didn't happen until really, really late, which mm. is why the bare root season is just so late so, but yeah. i wonder whether things will start growing and it'll be a warm spring or whether it'll just be a very very late spring and we'll have sort of snows in march and i'll yeah. be able to go sledging for my birthday <laughs> <laughs> not good but uh, yeah i mean if you can get your plants in as, as soon as you can um i mean that's our advice to all yeah. our customers at the moment try and yeah plan if you know you need, you're going to need stock you know certainly you know like every a lot of companies are under pressure to get stock out and it's quite important with uh, with certain things that you know we, we, we you know you don't want to run short and uh, and, and in this instance you can you know prepare nice and early and get your soil prepared in good time if the soil is still quite dry which as i say uh, it yeah, it's been, been quite dry recently, mm. hasn't yes, it? And, yeah, so um, not much. You know, so if you want to dig a hole and mm. get some of the earth prepared, ready for the yes. bare root to arrive, it's a jolly good time to do it. And in a way, Peter, that's the most difficult part, isn't it? Getting you saw, but the planting actually is quite enjoyable. Well, it should well, be if you've done the preparation. If you've done, indeed, and, <laughs> you got, and you haven't got hundreds to plant, if it's yeah. just a reasonable number. But uh, I mean, people often say, you know, how long does it take? I mean, I always say, well, get your preparation done. And then the planting should, you know, allow a good morning to do your planting and you can do it leisurely. And remember, in gardening, you know, work with the weather. No one wants to to plant a hedge or prepare the soil when it's pouring down with rain. So no. ch- ch- choose your times well. That's it, because there's nothing worse when you're out there on your allotment or in oh, the garden and no. you work welly, welly boots and it's raining it's, and the ground's no. sticking to your oh, wellies. No, no, no. It's hard work, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. So make make life easy for yourself and, yeah, just watch the weather forecast and, and being gardeners in January, plan plan ahead. That's it. And like you say, unfortunately, the Dutch obviously had the floods mm. back um, last year and obviously that had a massive impact on all the bulbs which Mm -hmm. um, we're no doubt going to see in a few weeks time when the spring bulbs come in and also the Mm -hmm. uh, hedging plants that we'd normally have the varieties have just not been available have they and ornamental trees as well a lot of the you know the flowering cherries some of the most popular things we you know the 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 whole crops have been destroyed by by flood damage so yes just be be a bit patient three years before they come back online isn't it it is fundamentally they don't you can't just turn them on and off. Can you can't. They, they no, not a ten of beans, unfortunately. <laughs> and also, I think it's a good opportunity if that happens to have a look at other other species. Sometimes, yeah. by default, you could grow something really nice. There's some really nice trees out there. So, you know, sorbus. You know, there's lots of other wonderful genera of trees to, to grow. And uh, sometimes it's a needs must uh, situation, and you know, usually with a good good result at the end. That's it. And coming up in a couple of weeks' time, we've got an interesting interview planned, haven't we, Chris? We have. We're Katrina going to Fenton from the Heritage Seed Library of Garden Organics. Excellent. So she's going to be telling us all about seeds and how to grow them and um, yep. what uh, 
grow. Grow, grow. and looking at all the old varieties, which are the, the sort of heirloom varieties, which we we uh, which are being preserved by the wonderful work they uh, the Seed Heritage Library is doing um, to preserve them for for, for future, future prosperity, which Excellent. is which is good news. So it should be a, a really insightful interview. I'm looking forward to learning a bit more about seeds because mm. I mean, we sell a good few thousand packets of Just seeds each year, don't we? And we it's do. always interesting to see which ones are the popular ones. Mm. And um, be nice to learn a bit more about the heritage varieties and uh, yeah. sort of in- uh, all about English seeds. And also they? a little bit about what you know, what what's the sort of some of the symbols on the, the seed packets mean. You know, what does an F1 hybrid mean and a, an open pollinated? So we get a, a better idea as gardeners how yeah. we should uh, how should grow those varieties. So yeah, it's going to be a an interesting show, you know, mainly looking at vegetables, but we'll, we'll obviously touch on flowers as well. Brilliant. Okay, well, that's in a couple of weeks' time. And mm-hmm. and like we said, you can still enter our competition for a chance to win the signed David Dominey book. Indeed, yes. And that's available if you go to our uh, website at uh, www.buckinghamgardencentre.co.uk. Just follow the podcast um, links and you'll go to the competition page and please enter and please tell your friends as well. Definitely, please do. Well, thank you very much for today's episode, Chris. No, thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.